entrepreneurs, business leaders, and professionals who seek excellence. Bringing the business classroom to you. It's the Business Builders Show on the Business Builders Media Network. Here's Marty Wolf. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Business Builders Show with Marty Wolf, the show for entrepreneurs, business owners, and business leaders. I'm Marty Wolf, your host for the Business Builders Show, which is a production of Business Builders Media. You can get all our shows and podcasts from many other great podcasters at businessbuildersmedia.com. That's where we give entrepreneurs and business leaders the tools they need to have their voices heard. That's businessbuildersmedia.com. My guest today is Diana Martin, and she is the Director of Communications and Marketing at the Rodale Institute. Hi, Diana. How are you? I'm doing so well, Marty. Thanks for having me on the show. Well, I've been looking forward to this conversation, but before we launch, just a couple of notes that I want to share with our audience. This interview with uh, Diana Martin is part of a series of four podcasts we are doing with and for the Rodale Institute. We're loving the work that's being done at Rodale Institute. On the Rodale website, which is rodaleinstitute.org, it says this, the future is organic. Rodale Institute is growing the regenerative organic movement through research, farmer training, and consumer education. So Diana Martin, you're involved in communications and marketing, so I suppose that's kind of your job to, to share to share these kinds of messages. So tell us more about your role. And I got to think you just love the work that you do. So talk to me. I have my dream job, which is the director of communications and marketing at Rodale Institute. So essentially my job is to take all the research that we do at Rodale Institute, this world-class research on soil health and organic agriculture, and make sure it gets into the hands of farmers who can implement it, policymakers, and probably most importantly, consumers, to mm. get them to actually understand why this should matter to them and their family so mm. that in the end, we can have an impact and change how food is produced around the world. Mm. So I know your website is one vehicle for that. Talk to us about other things. You do newsletters. Uh, what else did you do to uh, get that message out to that public you just described? One great way, we our farm is actually open to the public. We say that our farm is a destination for inspiration. And we get visitors to our headquarters in Kutztown from actually all over the world. It's not uncommon for someone to come from as far as Australia that you know grew up reading organic gardening magazine. So people love to come for events and tours, workshops. We have our website. We frequently talk to media like you who can help get our story and message out. And then we're very active in email marketing and social media. So for anyone listening, if you have your phone in front of you at all times, like I always do, mm -hmm. um, yeah, follow us on social media at Rodale Institute or jump onto our website and sign up for our email newsletter. The work you're putting out is just marvelous. It's just uh, fantastic. White papers being published that I read. can't promise I read every one of them, but I read them as I see them. And they have strongly influenced my thinking. Um, you listened to our introductory or watched our introductory video that we did to, uh, to start this series. And 
one of my pet peeves is uh, uh, the health of our children. Now, I said that, but I'm not going to go down that path. <laughs> Maybe later we can. But that's one of the pet peeves that I have in the, in the work that you're doing there. So um, there are so many things, um, and it's an unfair question. So I'm going to let you handle that any, this any way you'd like. But I asked, I'm going to ask you, what are the top two, three, five issues or challenges that you're addressing at the Institute? And I know that's a difficult question. Do the best you can to answer. I think if I had to boil it down to three, I think number one, you just hit the nail on the head is human health. Our motto is actually healthy soil equals healthy food equals healthy people. Mm -hmm. So, you know, at the end of the day, we talk a lot about food and farming and maybe things like tillage that's not really on anyone's mind. But at the end of the day, it's really about transforming our health. Uh, so that I would say that's number one. And um, yeah, we can, I'm happy to talk more about any of these issues. Number two, I would say healing our planet and especially right now, the climate crisis. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the United Nations International Panel on Climate Change just released a statement last year that about a quarter of all of our greenhouse gas emissions come from agriculture. So not only is uh, agriculture right now contributing to environmental issues and climate crisis, it's also simultaneously being impacted by those issues. And mm. it's getting harder and harder to produce food through flooding and drought and wildfires and all the issues that our farmers are facing. So I think, you know, we want to heal people and the planet. And that sort of brings me to issue three that, you know, ultimately I want to see our rural communities and our farmers thrive. The people who are producing our food every single day are really struggling and they need more, both more resilient agriculture and we have to get our farmers back into a system where they can be profitable and independent and thriving and not on a treadmill of just buying expensive inputs and barely making ends meet. So I think ultimately, like to me, that's the promise of regenerative organic agriculture. It's a win-win-win where our farmers can thrive, our planet will be healthier, and ultimately we'll be healthier as humans and our families. Yeah, I, um, again, starting to study this and pay attention to this uh, more than I have in the past. It's interesting that I never thought about it this way, but we're kind of going back to the way it was, or we're, we're trying to go back to the way it was, and whatever that was, before the, I guess, before the Industrial Revolution, where uh, pesticides and those kinds of things entered into our our agricultural process. Is that a reasonable statement to make? Yeah, I think that's a great statement. People, sometimes people see organic as sort of a fad or a trend. And I would say that actually chemical conventional agriculture is really a fad. Um, you know, we only have been farming with this intensive chemical industrial agriculture for less than a hundred years. And we've been farming for 10,000 years. Mm. So um, I, I see chemical agriculture as a fad and, you know, a, really a failed trend that mm -hmm. made a lot of promises that it hasn't kept. But yeah, you make a great point. Really, um, chemical agriculture really started 
just after World War II, when the, the you know, companies that were making chemicals for the war sort of turned their sights to once the war ended um, to see what they were going to do next. And they realized uh, a lot of the chemicals they were using to make ammunitions, they could use that same nitrogen and spread it on farm fields as fertilizers. And that's mm. what started um, the Green Revolution. And really actually around the same time is when the Rodale Institute was founded. Mm. Um, our founder, J.I. Rodale, he sort of was looking at that uh, with an, a bit of an outsider's perspective because he wasn't really a farmer and said, how can we take these toxic chemicals and turn them into healthy food for our family? So this was around the 1940s and he started experimenting it with it. He started at the time what was called the Soil and Health Foundation, which is now the Rodale Institute. And he really just started writing about it in his publications, a lot of publications that people still know today, like Prevention, Organic Gardening Magazine. And that's what really started the organic movement in America, North America, was um, once the chemicals got introduced after the war, J.I. Rodale said, I think we need to think long term about what the impact will be, started studying and writing about it. And then the organic movement has just really grown and blossomed over the last 70 years. Yeah, interesting. <clears throat> Tell us about the you're actually testing, I guess is the right word, at the Institute in Kutztown, Pennsylvania, and maybe other places, you're actually doing it uh, organic, well, I confirm this, I'm asking the question, organic versus um, whatever you would call it, industrial agriculture, you're actually testing that and seeing good results. Am I accurate there? You are spot on, Marty. So we have one of our most famous research projects is called the Farming Systems Trial, where we've been studying side-by-side -side organic versus conventional agriculture for the last 40 years. So we actually started that trial in 1981, and it's the longest running trial of its type in North America. There's one that's slightly older, it's in Switzerland. So I guess mm. we could consider that our big brother trial, but... Right. Um, but we've been studying this for 40 years, and the results are really fascinating. I think a lot of times you hear that organic can't feed the world, and our trial has shown that that's a myth and it's not true, that um, after a transition period, when we were able to rebuild the life in the soil, the there's no statistical difference in yields between the organic and conventional system. And in fact, when we see differences in yields, it's years that we have inclement weather, like drought and flooding, mm -hmm. and the organic system actually has up to 40% greater yields. Wow. So we've kind of looked at it, we've looked at this trial and we've said, you know, if, if organic can't feed the world, then who can? Uh, especially as we're facing more and more extreme weather and inclement weather. So mm -hmm. yeah, our, our trial has shown that organic the, can you know, have comparable yields, build soil health, be more profitable for farmers, and also use less energy, release fewer carbon emissions. There's kind of like you just start this whole whirlwind of all these other benefits. We get less soil erosion and mm -hmm. be able to retain water. So once we once you get in the area of improving soil health, there's just all these other benefits as well. I think people struggle with uh, what you just said. I mean, <clears throat> they're thinking, well, they see these immense farms with acres and acres and acres in this industrial process. And they think, well, how can 
uh, local farms feed millions of people with millions of people growing in the plant. I think people just have a hard time wrapping their head around that, Diana. Uh, I mean, at least that's been my experience. Are we making progress? I guess that's another way of, of asking the question. Are we making progress? It's such a great point that you raise because I don't think most people know that the average person around the world is fed by a small-scale farmer. Mm. Small farms and family farms are still feeding the vast majority of our population. Mm. Okay. And, you know, there there's so many interesting things to unpack around this, this myth that we need chemicals to feed the world. And mm. we need chemicals to feed the world. And, you know, right now we're actually, we're producing enough food to feed about 10 billion people. Um, so it's not that we're not producing enough food to feed the world. Uh, a lot of what farmers produce today actually isn't even food. In the United States, we grow about 50% of our crops are corn and soybeans. Uh, the majority of that is turned into ethanol for fuel. Right. Yeah. into high fructose corn syrup for cheap processed foods and f- to feed for livestock. So there's all these things to unpack. It's, we actually are producing enough food. And a lot of the reasons why we have people starving are due to other inequities in our society. A lot yeah. of what farmers are producing isn't even food. And then we can go into the issues around things like food waste. Um, mm-hmm. And I think there's just you know, we've just been sort of sold this bill of goods that we need chemicals to feed the world. And what we found is that's just not true. Yeah. And supply chain came into my brain as you were speaking. I mean, I I think another uh, thing that people believe is that, you know, they see it in their supermarket. Well, that may have come literally from another part of the world and, and took a long time to get here. Is that again, an accurate statement? Yeah, most of the food you buy at the grocery store has traveled about 1,500 miles to get there. Wow. So there is, that's another area where you're having a large carbon footprint. So I would say, you know, buy organic and Mm. buy local whenever you can. And if you buy animal products, also, you know, look for organic and pasture-raised meats. If you're concerned about your carbon footprint, those are always to make mm-hmm. a positive impact. Well, I'm doing my part. My wife, as we speak, is at the farmer's market, and we started composting two months ago. In the city, That's we're doing composting. So I'm doing my part, Diana. How's that? That's great. I love um, composting. Is something I always recommend to people. People <laughs> ask us all the time, what's something I can do to get involved? And a yeah. lot of, over 30% of what ends up in our landfill is food waste. So uh-huh. by composting, not only are you taking waste out of the landfill, but you're actually turning it into something productive that you can put back on your garden, help you grow your own food. So composting is amazing. You know, start, try planting a garden, plant something for pollinators, yeah. shop local, support organic, support a CSA or farmer's market. There's so many little things that people can do to take a step in the right direction. And if you go to RodaleInstitute.org, you can learn a lot of those things, see a lot of those things, subscribe to the newsletters, and because uh, that's what I've done. I've just followed directions. And so my guest is Diana Martin. She is the Director of Communications and Marketing for the Rodale Institute. I'll give you the website again. It's RodaleInstitute.org. Diana, we're going to shift gears. So this is a business show, 
And thank goodness we have a lot of businesses that listen to this show. Uh, a lot of people in universities listen to this show. Big business, small business. I'm finding it very uh, rewarding and engaging, and it makes me happy that I'm understanding that there are several big businesses really getting behind regenerative. Can you can you talk about that uh, to me and to our audience? Yes, absolutely. I I'm really excited to be on your show and to be talking to the business community because I think more and more. I realize that, you know, we can't do this without our businesses and corporations and business owners at the table. It's not going to be, you know, sometimes those of us who work in nonprofit, uh, we're so passionate about these issues and it's not going to be us that changes the world. It's going to be our businesses and corporations that have these supply chains who really can make the impact and can change the world. Mm -hmm. So I would say, you know, I think that's an empowering position to be in as a business owner. And we're seeing businesses make some incredible strides. Uh, we've been working actually with a number of brands on a new regenerative organic certification. We've been working with brands like Patagonia, Dr. Bronner's, Nature's Path. And it's a new label that actually goes above and beyond the existing organic seal. Mm. And it has pillars of soil health, animal welfare, and farm worker fairness. Mm -hmm. So the idea behind this new label is that uh, not only is there, are these products that are grown in harmony with nature, that are sequestering carbon and help fighting the cl climate crisis, that um, every single living thing that was part of that system from soil microbe to plant to animal to farmer were treated with care and respect. Mm. And I think, yeah, that's a really cool initiative. I would encourage people to find out more about. You can learn more at regenorganic.org. But that certification label is now on shelves. You can buy a product that is regenerative organic certified. You can get your own business or farm certified. Mm. Um, but I think that showcases a trend and the trend is really being driven by the consumers. Mm -hmm. Consumers are demanding more transparency with products that they buy. They're willing to pay more for things that align with their values. They care a lot about food products and their impact on their own health and their families, especially in light of COVID, that's mm -hmm. really, really increasing. Mm -hmm. And uh, our millennial consumers, which are now the largest consumer group, also care a lot about the planet. So mm -hmm. the consumers are really demanding these products and a lot of the businesses are actually scrambling to keep up and shift their supply chain and get enough of those transparent, regenerative and organic uh, sources for their ingredients. So anyone who's listening, I think, you know, you could be ahead of that trend because things are just going to continue moving in that direction. Yeah, be ahead of the trend. And for years, we have been interviewing um, business people and business owners who are uh, certified or B Corps. And of course, B Corps are concerned with the environment, with their people, and of course, profit. And the work that's being done at Rodale and regenerative organic agriculture and all the kinds of healthy soil and healthy food connects to that whole thought process. So I'm pretty confident 
that any uh, B Corps that are out there, which are, is a growing number, are very much paying attention to this. And from a very practical standpoint, Diana, I mean, healthy people mean healthy employees, which equals profitability. So I hate to sound like such a business person, but it's a fact. So I love the idea that business people are, are seeing this and, and, and starting to jump on it. I think their consumers are demanding it. I think, like you said, people are thinking about their own staff and how they can invest in the health of their staff Mm -hmm. and teams and employees. And yeah, I think there's just a lot of positive things moving in that direction. Yeah. And business people, unfortunately, I'm one of them and I have to be hit over the head with a two by four every now and then to see something. And so this is my two by four for my fellow business owners. I mean, even if you're being practical in terms of having a more productive workforce, and if you're thinking about their well-being, and if you're thinking about redoing, uh, reducing costs, this is one way to do good and do well and all those kinds of things. So um, that's why I'm really excited about bringing it to, to all businesses. We also I, talked- I saw a really great quote recently, and it basically said, uh, the dollar isn't going to do well if everyone's dead. So I think um, that, was pretty much, that was pretty much the, the moral of the, the phrase. Yeah. Um, well, I, I wish I said that first. That's, that would, that's a good one. But, yeah. but true. But true. You know, I think it's, you know, we have to we have to look long term. We're just there's no room left for short term thinking anymore. And I'm sorry. Go ahead, Diana. Go ahead. And go ahead. I interrupted you. Keep your Oh, talking. no, it's like we're, it, this is just, we're passionate about this subject. And, yeah. Well, you I, know, I just think there's no room left for short-term thinking. We need to look long-term. And the reality is, you know, how, how much demand is there going to be for the, your service if the climate crisis continues? And, you know, if we don't have clean air and clean water and healthy soil and we can't grow food and we have climate refugees and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, you keep going down that that ball, you know, you can roll that ball. There's just, I think people are, are being short-sighted if they're not thinking long-term about their impact on the planet. Yes. And I'm, this show is also timely in the sense that we've already mentioned COVID-19 is having a big effect on everything and everybody. Um, what's, what's happening to a lot of small business, since this is my world, that's what I, uh, that's my, my, my business consulting practice. That's why I deal primarily with small business and their supply chains have been dramatically affected, um, by COVID-19. And so, you know, that's the reality and they need to think long-term on all these kinds of things. And again, just, um, you can look at it from the pure standpoint of, uh, having healthy employees and health and happy employees, but long term, if we don't change some things in our in our food supply and our supply chains, um, it's 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 going to hurt us. It's going to hurt us all. So, I'm speaking more than I normally do. I guess I'm too passionate. Okay, I'm going to back it off a little bit. Um, so, is there anything else that? Well, let me let me move on to something else. So let's talk about the future. Um, uh, you, I guess we have been talking about the future, but how do you see Rodale finishing very strong in 2020 and going into 2021? What, uh, what's on your brain? What are you guys talking about? What's your strategic planning meetings look like? Give me some insights on that. I think I'll start with 2020. 
you know, 2020 has been such an interesting year for everyone. I guess if that's not the, you know, understatement of the year, Um, but it's, it's been really, I, I think really monumental for our organization because a lot changed this year for people's mentality. I think a lot of people came into 2020, coronavirus hit, they went to the grocery stores, they saw these empty food shelves, people sort of panicked, they thought, and it actually made people think for the first time about where their food comes from. Mm-hmm. People started valuing their essential workers. How many people before 2020 were thinking about those grocery store clerks and their you know, sanitation workers picking up their trash? Mm-hmm. and the people delivering packages to their door and thinking about the farmers that produce their food. And all of that was sort of happening in this environment where suddenly people really cared about health and people just could not afford to get sick. And I think, you know, 2020, it exposed some of the vulnerabilities of our industrial food system. We're sort of promised the trade-off is like, we have this efficient system with like with all these chemicals and everything will be really cheap and when i go to the grocery store there's going to be food there and i think that when we saw all these you know slaughterhouses shutting down across the country because of covid and uh you know there were farmers dumping food milk and you know leaving food in their fields and all this sort of things i just think it all of this catalyzed this incredible moment where people are realizing maybe I don't just want the cheapest food possible. Maybe I want food that's actually good for my health. Maybe I want food that supports my local economy that is resilient to the future. As we have, we're going to have increasing uh, challenges in the future with climate change. So I would say we we actually, this as challenging of a year as this was, you know, we weren't able to host traditional events. Um, I would say this is actually a big turning point for our organization where suddenly people realized maybe I want something more from my food system than just the cheapest food possible. And who are these people producing it? And how do I get food that's healthy and nutrient dense? Mm. So that's really steering our organization moving forward. We are increasingly focused on human health. We are doing a really important research study right now called the Vegetable Systems Trial, where we're actually researching how we can grow more nutrient-dense food. Mm -hmm. And you will see us continue to work with more medical doctors in the future. Uh, Right now, uh, your doctor only gets about 25 hours of nutrition education. There's just a big gap between our food industry and our health industry Mm. when food is medicine. So I think, you know, that's an area we're going to increasingly look to bridge and get farmers and doctors in the same room. So I'm really excited about that. And our other focus moving forward into 2021 is going to be to help more farmers transition acres to organic. Mm -hmm. So right now, only about 1% of farmland in the United States is certified organic. Our farmland is lagging greatly behind the demand for organic. Mm -hmm. So organic is now a fifth. uh, In 2019, we did $55 billion in organic sales just in the United States. 
5% of the food we eat is organic, uh, closer to 15, 16% of the produce we eat in this country is organic. Organic is growing at really high rates. It's being driven by millennial families. The demand is soaring this year for organic in response to coronavirus. Um, actually, organic food sales were up 20% this spring, just over last spring. Wow. wow. So there's a demand for organic, but our our farmland in the U.S. is lagging behind that demand. And there's a number of reasons, but that's our big focus. We actually started a consulting service, and I know you're going to talk to Sam, who is our director of our mm -hmm. consulting program. Mm -hmm. And we are working hand-in-hand, hand, sitting down with farmers in their kitchen tables all around the country and walking them through whatever mentorship that they need to help them transition their farmland to organic. Which I've also paid a lot of attention to Dr. Zach Bush. And um, again, I'm not going to get this exactly right. So forgive me, correct me after I say it. Um, but it does not take long. I guess it's a year, two years, you can bring your soil back to good health. Is that a reasonably accurate statement? Yeah. So to, to get that USDA certified organic label. So when you see that green organic label in the grocery store, there's actually a three-year transition period to okay. become certified organic from the last time you use the prohibited input. So uh, a lot of people ask about that, you know, is organic label just a marketing scam? And mm -hmm. it's not, there's a lot of um, really, really strict criteria that go into getting that label and uh, all the farmers have to undergo an third-party inspection every year and lots of paperwork and pay money to get certified. Right. Yeah. So there is a three-year transition period. But uh, what we've seen, I mean, in our in our trial that we're, the one I mentioned, the farming systems trial we've been doing for 40 years, even after 40 years, we're still improving our soil health and our organic systems. Wow, isn't that amazing? Hmm. So, you know, every year we're making improvements, we're building soil organic matter and putting more carbon from the atmosphere into our soils. And I think a lot of people don't know that the soil is alive. People just think about soil as dirt and we sort of treat it like dirt. <laughs> but, yeah, the so there's actually more living things in a t one teaspoon of healthy soil than there are people on the planet. Wow. So it's filled with bacteria and fungi, and yeah, this, the soil is alive, and we've really been degrading it through our industrial farming practices to the point that the United Nations says we have about 60 years of farmable topsoil remaining. Mm -hmm. So soil is just so undervalued. It's such an undervalued resource, and it's such a critical resource, and Ultimately, that's what we're talking about in organic and regenerative farming is building healthy soil. There you go. And I, from a farmer's perspective, if I were a farmer, um, some of the key words were there. There is demand for these products. And, and so every business person and farmers are business people. That's one of the key things that they'd want to hear. They want to do good. But if there's demand, that is a big part of it. So, um Diana Martin, what a great discussion. What a great education. Um, is there anything else that you want to uh, share with us? Maybe I didn't ask you the right questions. Is there anything that you'd like to close with? I think ultimately 
the thing I love about our work is it is really inspiring and really hopeful. You know, we've had a lot of people have had a tough year with economic crisis, pandemic. You know, we went through we've been going through a whirlwind with this election in the United States. And a lot of people of my generation feel a lot of despair when it comes to the climate crisis and the environmental uh, future. You know, we're kind of looking at what kind of planet are we going to hand to our children and future generations. And I think ultimately that's what really excites me about the work of regenerative organic agriculture. We're saying we don't have to give anything up to heal people and the planet. We can have healthy, nutritious food that's profitable for farmers that, you know, can start to reverse and mitigate the climate crisis and that rebuilds our local economy within communities and creates a more resilient future. So that's what I'm really excited about. I think, you know, we always, I think a lot of people, we look at the future as we have to give something up to make things better. And I think in the case of agriculture, it's just, we have to change, shift our mentality. And I feel really hopeful. Well, I think we've shifted some uh, people's thinking today because this was an extraordinary interview. And Diana Martin, thank you so much. And Diana is the Director of Communications and Marketing. Go to their website, rodaleinstitute.org, rodaleinstitute.org. Sign up for their newsletters. Pay attention to their work. Diana, thank you so much for being part of the Business Builders Show. Thank you so much for having me on, Marty. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Business Builders Show on the Business Builders Media Network. Find all our shows and many other great podcasts at businessbuildersmedia.com. That's businessbuildersmedia.com.